0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 182 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one shedding, bathing, grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and you're in for it today. Today, we have the screenwriter from the Black Stallion, and we also have Carla from the Intuitive Rider. This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. It's going great. This is so much fun. I mean, this story is one of those God stories where right place, right time. And Jeannie, I mean, this she's a rock star. Jeannie Rosenberg, we have on, who is not only a horse girl, but she got she's one of those horse girls who got to do what she loves. And so she could have horses, <laughs> which, which <laughs> is the theme that everybody's looking for, right? You know,
2: this this yeah. is a fun one for me because our first guest helps us reach back to our our mm-hmm. childhood and the great memories, because probably 9.9 out of 10 people who love horses have read The Black Stallion at least a dozen times. Yeah. And it's going to help rekindle that joy that those books gave us and now the movie. And then we move on to our second guest, is going to help us reconnect with the joy that our horses give us now mm-hmm. as adults, because... Carla at The Intuitive Writer really speaks to so many things that go on for adult writers that tend to be something that bothers adult writers more. So I'm really excited to hear about it.
1: Yeah, well said, Jen. Well said. Yes, we're all all going after that holy grail of joy with our two and both these ladies bring it around.
2: Bring it around. That's right. And speaking of joy, Let's hear from our title sponsor, Hands on Gloves, who will bring you great joy when you're grooming your pets.
0: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary new all-in-one shedding, bathing, grooming tool? Hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. They are easy to clean, and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. Hands on is changing the way we bathe, de-shed, and groom our animals forever. Hands on gloves—they are fantastic.
1: Jeannie Rosenberg was rereading her favorite childhood novel from a script analysis class at USC when she realized and rekindled her passion for the work of Walter Farley. This inadvertently led to her first Hollywood dream job: screenwriter on *The Black Stallion*. With this amazing experience broadening her interest from documentary to narrative filmmaking, Jeannie honed her skills by working as a script supervisor on numerous feature films while completing her first original screenplay, The Journey of Natty Gann. She's been writing, producing, and directing ever since and has taught graduate screenwriting at USC and online at National University and is currently working on several projects, including a first novel based on one of her screenplays. Well welcome. I've got Jeannie Rosenberg and Monty Roberts on the phone. I'm so excited, both of you. and I know you are just about I just bursting at the seams to talk about all the things that you guys have synergy regarding horses, <laughs> regarding movies, regarding actors. And I heard in the pre-game here chat a little bit about a name, Mickey Rooney. Do you have that in common <laughs> with him? Jeannie, do you uh, we it? sure
3: do. I was going to say to her that I got a, a call from my father to uh, knock on my door, wake me up from bed to say, we're going to Mendocino County tomorrow. <laughs> and I was eight years old. It was 1943. And he said, you're going to take Oriole with you. That was a horse that I jumped quite a bit. <laughs> and you're going to do some cross-country jumping. And I said, oh yeah, okay, okay. He was renting me out at that time for child stuns mm. and uh, i just figured it was another one of those which it was really but on the other hand he went on to say they brought some girl from england and the mother kept saying she can ride anything everything's fine she she's absolutely at home in the saddle and they put her on and she fell off Forthwith, immediately. (laughs) And she broke an ankle and she hurt her back and she complained about it till the day she died. But anyway, it was National Velvet and they took me to Mendocino County and I jumped over a bunch of cross country fences and then they said, You're going to go down and run in the breakers at the sea up in Northern California. And all of that came out in the movie and the kids that I met on the road I didn't go to school but the kids I met on the road told me they saw me in the movie they heard about it I was the one that was on the horse and it wasn't the little girl so
4: the little girl would have been Elizabeth Taylor
3: it was she was in the hospital <laughs> I never oh. met her at that time I met her later but I met her and spent a day with her at the racetrack actually oh boy at Santa Anita oh. And I spent an afternoon with Mickey Rooney at Hollywood Park racetrack. Uh So we, we went over all those things, but that was a black day for her. She was in the hospital for two to three weeks. And then she did more of the scenes. And of course they went off to England and, and did a lot of that national velvet movie over there. I didn't go to England. I just did the Northern California stuff and yeah well, that was well, what my... did you
4: what fun I mean, perhaps it was not fun for you as an eight year old being dragged here and there and here and there did you did you enjoy the experience?
3: Oh, I did indeed, I enjoyed uh... every experience that I had with <laughs> my horses. There were often frustrating things that they asked me to do. That was the day of the run and w, and at about the age of ten, they taught me how to ride through the run and W, which is where the front legs of the horse are pulled up and he, he falls at a dead run.
4: That's uh, when they have the rope stretched across the to, to make the horse fall. Well, its
3: it wasn't stretched across. Uh-huh. I worked with a little cable that went from the shoulder to the ankle, up to the chest, back down Ooh. to the other ankle, and up to the chest, and then you run to the end of the cable and it just pulls his front feet out from under him. Uh And down down he goes. Uh, Yeah, and of course you don't enjoy those kind of things, but my word, how they've improved that. And and Joel McRae and, and Richard Farnsworth really worked hard with me, helped me to get those things banned so that animals were treated better later on in the films.
4: Yeah. And of course, yeah.
3: then they went to Mexico a lot, and but now it's pretty much international that you can't do those kind of things, so it's it's way right. better. But I enjoyed being with my horses. My father was a very violent man. I didn't enjoy any time with him at all, <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: but but I loved Farnsworth. He was just uh, like an uncle to me, mm. and McRae Mac- ultimately sent both of his sons to me to learn to ride, so yeah it was it was really bringing the past into the future for me throughout the horse industry. I, I really enjoyed it.
4: I had worked on several movies as a script supervisor, where you kind of sit next to the director and and the camera person and kind of take notes. And there were several animal pictures, and many of them were very horrifying for me, with trainers kind of yelling at the animals and not getting a performance and frustrations mounting all around. And then on The Black Stallion and on The Journey of Natty Gann, The experiences were so incredibly different. I saw this compassionate interchange between the trainers and the uh, the horses in the in one case, and the uh, wolf dog in the other. It was it just my eyes just got wildly open and it was such a much more pleasant experience for everyone not only the animals but for the entire crew quite a that's, wonder to behold That's yeah. great,
1: Jeannie yeah why do, what do you think changed so much uh, was it carol was it your director that uh, the maverick no in this case it really it was it was the particular
4: trainers corky randall was the uh, the horse trainer on black stallion and they did a lot of Liberty work and a lot of of training and a lot of just communication. I don't know if it was a timing thing. Corky came from his father trained, I think, the Ben-Hur horses. Yeah, so did his father have a different style? I don't know. But the, okay. <laughs> but the rapport that I saw with Corky and this very, very, especially with Castellet, who was this incredible, the main horse in the black stallion was very bright and just seemed to understand everything. And he and Corky had quite an incredible rapport. Yeah. There was just, yeah, a communication level that was extraordinary. And in the case of the journey of Nanny Gann, again, there was, I mean, the, the wolf dog and the trainer were like alter egos. They were so connected and that must be understood each watch. other.
1: Yeah. You you grew up with horses, as I recall, right? I mean, you were I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I'm one yeah. of those horse kids. Yes. Yeah. And,
4: and was this in the L.A. Area? No, no. It started in Peoria, Illinois. Ah. And when we moved to Chicago, we moved my horse as well, and the experience was so incredibly different. Peoria is very rural. It was kind of farmland, and Chicago was the middle of the city, and the horse lived in basically an apartment building. Ah. <laughs> there were ramps that, you know, kind of led up and down from the arena main floor to the uh, stall on the top and in the basement. Right, and I went from being... A cowgirl in Peoria, to everyone around me riding English in yeah. Chicago, but my horse was an American saddlebred, so we never quite fit in anyway, oh. no matter where we were, which was fine.
1: what did what did yeah. was your favorite part of horses then at that point? was it about the discipline or the sport, or was it more about your relationship with your horse? no, i didn't
4: I didn't compete. I didn't do sport uh, as a kid. It was just that connection that uh, seems to be built in for a lot of uh, kids. It's
1: just kind of a it's part in of you. DNA, yeah. We, we <laughs> laugh about that all the time. So seeing the Black Stallion, tell us about that experience where you're thinking, well, it's a, it's a horse. That's a good thing. I, I know horses. <laughs> um, but I'm writing a, I'm writing a screenplay <laughs> at this point for some pretty pretty important people at that point. I knew you were excited to pursue it. But what was that like to think that you could fold your horse knowledge into the screenwriting too? I
4: don't know if I should back up and tell you the story of my involvement. I I discovered Walter Farley's book when I was about probably 10 and just was in love with the story. And it felt like I was that kid. I was Alec Ramsey and I knew that horse and it was my favorite childhood novel. So when... As a grown-up, basically, in film school, when asked to kind of read something and do a script analysis, I went back to that book, that favorite childhood book, and loved it again. Wrote the script analysis at a time when I knew I was never going to be a writer. I was going to make documentary films. At any rate, uh, I learn a few years later when I'm out of Film school and had done a documentary about the first BLM Wild Horse Roundup. Oh, wow. interesting. <laughs> that they were making The Black Stallion. That uh, Carol Ballard, who was, I knew all of his short films, really a brilliant visual, wonderful filmmaker, he was to direct. And Zoetrope was producing, Francis Coppola was producing. I, I mean, oh. these are like all of these people are huge in my mind. And I wrote Carol a letter and I sent him the script analysis thinking, well, it's just a shot. Why not? And I got a phone call from Carol Mm -hmm. (laughs) saying, I really liked what you wrote. We should get together. I'm ecstatic. Don't hear from him. Call up the production office and they say, oh, they're in pre-production in Canada. And I call him And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just got crazy, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm sort of coming that way. Do you mind if I drop in? I was heading from Los Angeles to Peoria to visit family. I wasn't really quite heading that way, but what the heck.
1: And this is Toronto, Canada, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And
4: so we spent, I was there about three days and I met the horse. I met Walter. uh, I met the, I was just in heaven. Carol was frantic. There are hundreds of people on a movie set, and he hadn't committed to any screenplays. They had an actress, a part had never been written for. They didn't know what locations to get. It was madness. I remember meeting Carol for breakfast one morning. I'm having coffee. I'm making a few notes because he's late. He comes in. He grabs the notes, which I was making on a napkin, and I'm saying, "It's just, just make a Carol Ballard film. It's this beautiful love story between this boy and this horse. I go home and get another call saying, can you come back? We don't have a script. Carol would like you to be here. I say, okay. (laughs) And I go and I meet Melissa Matheson, who Francis Coppola had sent to kind of be there also to help. And we become a writing team and we're writing sort of frantically on the set half of the time. And and Mickey Rooney at first was thinking, oh no, who are these girls in my way? as we would be writing pages of dialogue for him and handing them to him moments before the camera's rolled oh, gotcha. but i think i think he grew to kind of like us and yes i did feel very very protective of the horse and felt that 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 really became what i thought was my role in a big way to make sure that they got it that this horse and this boy had this relationship that no one else had and that he was the horse was distrustful of everyone else but completely bonded with this boy. And I, I just felt it was my job to keep reminding everyone of that. I love so that. that at one point when yeah. they said when Mickey was going to lead the horse here and there and put the horse in the trailer, I said, he really can't do that. It's really only Alec that, that mm-hmm. the black is going to follow into that trailer. <laughs> Things
1: like that. Exactly. Um, and and so Mickey Rooney is about how old at this point now, do you think?
4: Oh my goodness! Well, we were shooting in the in the late seventies. A movie came out in seventy nine, and I don't know. I could Google it really quickly.
1: Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I he wasn't it, a young uh, man. How he would have been think? in his 50s, I think. In his 50s, do you think? Yeah? Does that I sound think amazing? so, yeah. Uh, so it, it, what's interesting is that he had been in so many animal movies at that point, but this was, uh, as I recall, he was up for an Academy Award because of this yes. performance in Black Stallion. Did you yes. feel like it was an Academy Award performance when you were writing out script and throwing napkins at
4: him? <laughs> the, the truth is I was in, I mean, this this swirling world. No, I didn't think that. I always knew it was going to be a wonderful movie because the story was so wonderful and Carol was so gifted. And then the cinematographer, Caleb Deschanel, was so gifted. Corky and the Horse were so... i For me, it couldn't miss. And I knew that everyone else around me had incredible doubts, especially the studio. So did anyone think it was an Academy Award performance? I don't think anyone was thinking that. I think everyone was thinking that the kid that, the, that Carol had hired to play Alec Ramsey was so offbeat, but was so game and so wonderful and so full of try. It was this kid who had never acted, who came from a farm in Colorado who spoke with a stutter, but was willing to do absolutely anything to bounce around on the horse and to fall off a zillion times into the ocean. And yeah, let's do it again. So did we know Mickey's performance was Academy Award material? I don't think so. But he brought some incredible magic to the project. There's a scene in, I think it was a rainy day and we're kind of, he's in the barn with the kid. They're sitting on a hay bale and he's talking about how a jockey rides a horse and he's moving his shoulders and he's drawing from all of that history that he had with the movies and with horses and with the track. And uh, he was kind of
1: riffing and it was quite wonderful. Oh, how Mm -hmm. fun to see that. Dad, did you ever have any actors that just riffed like that too, where where you felt like they were really just taking it and going with it?
4: Um, not like that, to oh. tell you the truth. That yeah. was, he was bringing, honestly, that you just felt everything. You felt national velvet and you felt just everything that this man had experienced. You just, mm. it was all right there in that barn on that rainy day. And it just really worked. i worked on a lot of movies with kids who aren't quite there yet. They don't have that much experience to be able to kind of do that, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Monty, what what was your experience with Mickey Rooney? Did you feel like well, he was a natural at the time? Because you saw him when you were pretty little, right?
3: <laughs> well, I was very little, and he was quite young. Yeah, and he, he, it was an early experience for him with horses. So uh-huh. he, I didn't see a connection with him with horses so much. I was awed by the filmmakers and what they did to get their scene and that kind of thing, even at eight years of age. But I think it's fair. I think everybody on this call will sort of agree that the generation before me was extremely violent with horses. Mm -hmm. And for 6,000 years, since uh, the beginning of man's relationship to horses in a domestic scene, it was violence. Everything was violence. And then my father was so violent to me, 72 bones before I was uh, 12 years of age. And I saw a value in nonviolent training. And I saw people around me beginning to think that way. And you talk about Corky and his father, boy, there was a switch too. The mm. father was really strong with horses and very difficult to deal with as far as a horse was concerned. Mm. And Corky really understood coming together with the horse and, mm. and and loving them. And isn't it amazing? After my first book, Polo just changed overnight. Mm-hmm. And Adolfo Cambiaso sent all of his players and trainers here to learn my methods, and they've changed polo overnight.
0: Yeah. And the Western Division,
3: I I just sent three students of mine to the National Finals in the Rain Cow Horse Division Fort Worth, Texas, Mm. last November, and all three made the finals and took home over a quarter of a million U.S. dollars.
4: Oh, how exciting. Wonderful. Wonderful. And their (laughs)
3: horses were trained by my methods without violence, no violence whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. now you're getting extra points when the horse looks like he's enjoying his work. Mm-hmm. And and, and will stand there and relax and not be fidgeting around. You get extra points,
4: right? Well, right.
3: well mm-hmm. isn't it amazing how since my first book, the world of horsemanship has changed unbelievably? Yes, and yet yes. we human beings seem to be treating each other
0: mm.
3: more violently than we ever have. And we're going the other way with human-to-human relationships and seeing the value in the animals. It suits me fine, but I want to stay out of the way of these guys that will kill 10 people in a
4: grocery store.
3: You know? yeah. and, and, and these are strange
4: strange, and horrible days. Yeah. Uh, I have talked with people who have worked with you or been to your clinics and, and also Ray Hunt and Buck Brannerman, and the things that they often say is that they they have changed their behavior not only with their horses, but with their spouses and their yes. kids and yeah. their yeah. relatives, yeah. their friends, that they have, right. you know, kind of found a new way to be in the world, which is yeah. hopeful. Changes and and, and this is where the
1: synergy is between you two that I love is that Jeannie, for those who will look at the website and see her photo there, she is a rainer. And she is, you're <laughs> yeah. still active riding. And, yeah right and now yeah 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 still out there and where do you ride Jeannie are you I know you're in Topanga Canyon area equestrian center where do you go
4: we have, uh, until COVID, yeah, shown a lot there. And some in Orange County, uh, we used to go to Santa Barbara. I don't travel to, I mean, I've been to Oklahoma to some of the big shows, but I like to stick close to home. I actually like to sleep in my own bed when I can. <laughs> so, and it's been easy to do that for me to be able to compete because the equestrian center is very close,
1: basically, to my house. You saw dad at a, he gave a demonstration at the equestrian center some years ago. Yeah. 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 What was that that like?
4: It was kind of early on in the entire sort of natural horsemanship birth. Movement, Um, yeah. Uh And it was just awesome. You could not, I could not, and the people I was with could not believe how this could possibly happen. I mean, how this horse could come into this pen kind of, who had never been, hadn't experienced humans, and suddenly, right, joined up following Monty around. It was absolutely incredible and inspiring and helped all of us see that there is a whole other way to do this. When I first started, they were, yeah, they were tying horses' heads around and jerking on the reins a lot and being... Spurring everywhere. I mean, it was tough. You had to be tough, and that's how I think I learned growing up as a kid. You had to show the horse who's boss. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, no, you. It's not about that. <laughs> yeah. It's not about being bossy. Look at this other way. Look what Monty can do. So it it really changed a lot. And yes, yeah, so now it's. As a reiner, you walk into that pen with your reins draped. You don't even basically kind of pull on the reins ever. It's it's all about communication, and it's all about understanding each other. It's
3: That's so right. gratifying to hear. And, and I was working with a horse one day, and it came to me that a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to. A great <laughs> trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. And that's the difference. I mean, you just put it all in one or two easy sentences because Mm -hmm. it's partnering up with the horse and really moving forward in unison with one another rather than who's boss and Mm-hmm. Who's a servant.
1: You're both so, so eloquent, both writers. I've got two writers on the phone. This is wonderful. <laughs> so so I, as I understand it, there may be some synergy in the future with uh, some screenwriting too. And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I guess you guys are working on a project possibly together.
4: Yes. I'm not sure if we're supposed to be talking about this or not, but the title we'll is just so great that it's the The Cowboy and the Queen. Monty, I can't wait to talk to you about your incredible relationship with Queen Elizabeth and shared passions for horses. And I, it, it looks and feels like, and from everything you've said and from kind of other things I've seen, that horses are incredibly important in her life. That feels like an, a major emotional outlet for her in a world well, in it, which she doesn't get many chances to have that. Mm hmm.
3: Indeed, that's the truth, and when you think about it, she was born in 26, and I was born in 35. But in the early 40s, Hitler was trying to kill her every day with planes (laughs) flying over England. She lived in the dungeons under Windsor Castle, and the only thing she had was her sister, her family, and her horses. And the horses meant so much to her. I didn't know that in 1989 when I went. I mean, I knew something about it. But I in 1989, she sent a man to California to watch me work. And then he told her, you got to see this thing. And mm. so she took me over there and she had 23 horses untouched, 23 <laughs> horses in the fields there and she said, we've got five days. What do you think you could do with them? And I said, I don't know. We just have to get started and see. And all 23 horses took their first saddle and rider in that five days, and they averaged 27 minutes apiece to take their first saddle and rider, and the queen was hooked, and we have been so close ever since because she believed the whole time that horses ought to be our partners they were her partners they were her teachers they were her friends and i we i think we both grew up in the same atmosphere without knowing it uh-huh. and so it's been a very close relationship for 40 34 years now
4: oh, how wonderful were great? the horses in the dungeon with her were they did they have the horses underground
3: yes it's under mm. stone and it's still there where she was, okay. uh, and that's where I did the twenty-three horses. But there, where she lived, was literally in the dungeons under the under the mm-hmm. castle itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then you come out of the side of the hill, and they have these stone buildings that are built into the hill. That's where the horses lived, mm-hmm. and then she could ride through the Windsor Gardens there, which uh, are very large and she did most of her riding after dark. Oh boy. <laughs> because they, they had to clear the skies. They had to know we had radar starting then and she's told me several times that they had to know that the skies were clear of German planes and then she would spend her time with her horses. And the more I've gotten to know her, the more I realized how important the horses were to her at that point in time. And yeah. and her ability to see that these horses that they owned, and her mother owned the first horse that I did for the royal family, they were able to see that these horses loved me, that they (laughs) they did what they did because they wanted to. And she was hooked more than anybody else in the whole thing, except for one guy called Terry Pendry, whom she sent on the road with me, and he was in the household cavalry. And he's ridden with her every ride she's made since that time. Huh. He, he takes care of her private horses, and he's he's right there at Windsor, right where she lived. And she rides three, four, five days a week right now with him.
4: Does she? Oh my gosh, that's great.
1: <laughs>
3: Yeah. yeah. She yeah, now a- rides uh, Scottish ponies
1: mostly. Right. It's yeah, the horses have shrunk, but but yeah. not but not her heart. Okay. She's <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, it's it's wonderful yeah. to see horses stay in people's lives throughout their whole life. I guess once it's yeah. in the DNA it doesn't it doesn't leave. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate both of you. I know there's more. I so many more things I want to know between you two <laughs> um, and I would well, I'd love, love to, to get
3: people. together with you and yeah and you oh, well, some things and let yes. you see I can barely walk anymore and I, ah. I have a yes. hobby making walking sticks but I can still do a join up and I Great. would love to to get to know you better and I can feel such a coming together here yes. it really is because I want the world to go on and and to become partners human to human as much as human yes. to horse. And yes. I'm, I'm working with veterans with problems, post-traumatic stress. And I, it, I think you know the acronym to be PTSD. Yes, yes. That's a totally inaccurate set of initials because there's no D. A disorder is something you're born with and it doesn't mm. heal. Okay. And when you go to war relatively normal and you come back abnormal... You have an injury, not a disorder. Yeah, and and it's and it's hard to
4: imagine you. coming back from a war without being intensely affected.
3: Right, most it's, people it's, don't.
4: Right, right, and I I think some of the work that's being done with with veterans and with kids with disabilities it's it, it's just been amazing. I, it's it's pointing in kind of such good directions, right, if we can, if there's a way to kind of generalize it and make, to help people kind of come together, which is what you're doing. Um,
3: Well, it's a big part of my life now, and Debbie is too.
1: Oh, we enjoy it, Jeannie. It'll be fun to show you, too. I think this is actually how we'll turn around horses back into our society to show them how important they are. We can't leave the qualities of horses behind these flight animals because the the dogs and cats are wonderful, but they don't have the same qualities for healing. Mm.
3: Let's don't forget the big part of my family, which is a family of wild deer. It's part of my story. (laughs) The flight animals have so much to offer us in the way of yeah. knowledge about staying alive and and dealing with trauma. Mm-hmm.
4: We have deer that come to the ranch, a couple of herds that come now every day, twice a day. They just sort of wander through. They couldn't care less if you're around. They'll sort of look at you. The dogs will bark at them. They don't care about that either. They're just very contented. It's great. <laughs> it's-
1: yeah, yeah, it's lovely.
4: I Oh, I'm also so curious. This is probably a conversation for much later, but I am so curious about whether or not your father ever got it, it mm-hmm. whether he finally understood in some way what you were doing or if you remained sort of staunchly, I don't know, kind of a disbeliever. He died in
3: 1985. Mm-hmm. And one of his last messages to my mother in front of me was... They'll kill him. It's suicide. <laughs> if a horse doesn't fear you, he'll kill you. And the whole thing is impossible. And when he died, I went to the funeral parlor where they had his body. I had to stand over that body and say, you can't hurt anybody anymore. Uh, uh, that's the end yeah. of
1: it. I think those traditional horsemen. I don't know that they'll ever get it, Jeannie. I'd like to think that that people can change, but I think the more malleable brains. uh, The next
3: generation will,
1: be I think so. I think so. Yeah, exactly, the next generation. I'm wondering also
4: if your brother had a similar experience or if he managed to to view your father in a different light somehow. He was
3: born a blue baby. And a blue baby has a valve that doesn't open or doesn't close or something. And then when it switches, you're just a normal child. He lived through it, they switched it, and he was a normal child. But my father always viewed him as somebody to leave alone. He's got a problem and we leave him alone. Yeah. And he never beat on him like he did me. Yeah. And he he yeah. would beat me with chains, with <laughs> polo mallets, with hammers, with shovel handles, anything that he could get his hands on. And I wasn't a bad child. I was trying to do my work. And if I made a mistake, I got broken bones for it. And the yeah. doctors knew what was going on. And yeah. they, they eventually taught my grandmother how to make a cast. Mm. And, and she did all the work. And my mother yeah. took me to her when I was beaten because he would hold his pistol to Ginger's head. And he would say to me, one word, one word from you about my discipline of you, and I pull this trigger. You want me to pull this trigger?
4: Ooh,
3: ooh, ooh, ooh. Ginger like- dies. Mm. And of yeah. course, no child with his first horse is ever going to want anybody to shoot it. No. And so <laughs> I never mentioned a word. And, and you'll, be, you'll be one who really understands. It was against the law for them to have me doing these stunts.
1: Yeah, of course. You got yeah. that. Yeah, it's a phone. That's <laughs> uh, okay. I, my daughter's calling. I, well, I, I've got to wrap but, up for my producer here too. Okay, sorry, it, okay. sorry. but I it was
3: to... against the law. It was against the yeah. law for them to have me, and I was banned
1: from telling
3: anybody about the stunt sure. work that I did. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was. It was a. It was a wild, wild west. Jeannie. It was a wild, 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 wild yeah, yep. yeah, cowboy yep. movies and cowboys. But yep. anyway, sorry to end on a on a quiet note here. It was really <laughs> exciting to have you both on the phone together and to get this done. A horse lover and rider all her life. Carla Bachmüller studied firsthand in renowned programs such as Sally Swift centered riding and the classical German training system. Carla is accredited by the German National Federation for Horse Riding and has achieved the highest level, Trainer Level A. She's worked in different styles of riding, Western, classical Spanish, and French dressage riding, too, working with a variety of horses and riders. What sets her apart is her level of expertise in meditation, personal development, and mindfulness training. She is a certified meditation and yoga practitioner, leading and facilitating worldwide. She helps riders from all over the world to be more balanced, safer, and more connected in the saddle working on the emotional and mental side of being a horse person. Well, welcome, Carla. I'm so excited to meet you here, but we get to meet you in person coming up, I think, pretty soon here in um, June. We'll be in Sacramento. Is that right? Yes, we'll be in Sacramento. And thanks for having me here today, baby. Oh, I, I thought it would be a great idea just to get to know you a little bit and have listeners get to know you because I know that you'll be meeting Monty in Sacramento None of us, at least from our camp, have been to an expo or a conference or uh, anything for so long. I feel like we're chomping at the bit to get back outside again. How do you, Are you've been traveling or have you been kind of in lockdown too?
5: I've been pretty much in lockdown too, but I've done lots of virtual things, which is not the same, but it's still fun to do and just a way to connect to people and also connect worldwide, right? That's the big advantage of this.
1: Yes. Well, you've got quite the credentials and we read a little bit about that from your bio, but I wanted people to get to know you a little bit better too, because you do live in two worlds that I think not only are seamless in practical matters like yoga and meditation and horses, but they're also a great asset for every writer, And that's why I wanted to have you on. We've talked about Pilates for riders and getting our bodies in shape. And Monty talks, Dad talks a lot about diaphragmatic breathing down, singer's breathing. Any any coach, I think, worth their salt talks a lot about breathing. And you do as well, but you come at it from a, a different descriptive. And I think everybody should hear it four different ways so you really get it. And I thought you described it really well. But I'll let people go to Western States Expo and see you in Sacramento or call you up and get some lessons from you. But one thing I wanted to go over is the big fat word anxiety and confidence Mm. in writing. And you hit that topic so well. I'd like to think that women who have had life experiences, whether it's raising children or been through education, all those things that build confidence would be a pretty confident character. But it seems like when we get to horses, we we lose some of that mojo. Why? What happens? What do we need to do to stop us being so anxious when we're on top of a horse?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm right with you there. My clientele is usually women over 40. So it's really like accomplished people, right? People Mm -hmm. who can really do things in their life and have done things and have really faced challenges in their life. And when it comes to horses, I think what's different is that it's a very immediate kind of danger, right? It's the sense of I can really physically hurt myself really easily. Mm -hmm. I can come off my horse, I can break bones, a horse can even just step on my foot and it hurts, right? Yeah, It just really hurts very immediate. And, uh, And so it's very almost instinctive kind of fear that we are facing when we are around horses. And especially when we've had bad experiences and lots of people actually unfortunately do right they've come off a horse and hurt themselves and then going back on and starting to trust themselves and starting to trust the horse again it's it's really it's a big thing right it's something where you really have to overcome so much and get that confidence back and there are techniques right it's like breathing techniques centering techniques but it's also almost a life coaching process where you have to also look at what is it really that you're afraid of and how can you deal with that? And what are things that are just happening in your head? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes we make that danger even bigger in our heads where we go like, I'm really concerned, I'm really worried. And then it builds up and it becomes bigger and bigger.
1: Yes. I mean, we don't want to get hurt, but sometimes it's frustrating if we think back, like when I was 10, I didn't worry about anything. I just threw myself up on there and we charged through the fields. What made us more mortal? Is it Was it just accidents or is it something, do we overthink things? And how can we bring that back? How can we bring that 10-year-old child back to us?
5: Yes, that yeah, it would be beautiful, right? If we could just click our fingers and have that back. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think, like from my experience, there is really something that happens energetically, and that might sound a little woo-woo, but I really feel that, especially through menopause, there's something in the energy of the the woman really changes and we're a little bit disconnected from the groundedness, the centeredness, and also sometimes from the confidence that really comes with that. And so what I really do and work with is a grounding exercise really feeling yourself feeling your body feeling even the way you're walking feeling the way you're breathing and really getting yourself back into into the body and I think it's a a different kind of confidence that we had as a kid right Mm -hmm. as a kid we're just not thinking about things and we just go for it so and you have to as a grown-up you have to build it back up and it's it's different than for a kid but they are definitely ways of feeling yourself again and feeling the joy like sometimes Mm -hmm. I've got women they're so afraid to ride their horses and then I ask them like why do you do it at all if it really if if you're really so afraid Mm -hmm. and then just say I love it so much I just want it so much I love it so much I just want to do this so much and when you can keep that motivation and then find more joy
1: again, that's the big motivator to overcome all these obstacles. That's beautiful. So I loved what you said when watching some of the things that you've done about self-doubt, that it does kill the joy. Speaking to what you're yes. you're just addressing, it kills the joy, that self-doubt and that the horse picks up on that. So you say something about magical moments, find the magical moments and celebrate those together. Can you tell us about that?
5: Yeah, that's one of my my favorite, because self-doubt is really one of the big issues that I see with the most of pe- the people I work with. When you think about it, you get on your horse, and then you think like, oh, I've done this wrong, I've done that wrong, and we start really looking at just the things that are not working, And the horses pick up on that. Our bodies will just keep remembering all the things that are not working. And it it becomes a vicious cycle and it's really not joyful and light at all. But when you can start feeling into the things that are actually working. So when you are on your horse and you have this moment, even just for a few seconds, where you feel really connected, where you have this feeling in thing with this oneness feeling. And even if it's just a few seconds, that's what I call the magical moments and really feeling into them and allowing them to happen. And this I feel it like an ah moment, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you really feel like, oh, it's like a wave going through you where you feel this is beautiful. I feel this connection with the animal. I feel on top of the world. And it can be from something super simple. It can just be like a walk, haul transition or something else. It doesn't have to be the... Olympic dream kind of, I finally got the PR thing. It's the everyday little things that can really create these magical moments for, for us to remember and to build up and let them expand and let them really
1: take space in your being with your horse. That's good. Good. When you talk about that disconnect from your horse, I thought it was really interesting how you connected shallow breathing to disconnecting from your horse you use the startle effect and how we arch our body or kind of fetal position our body but that that disconnect happens when you might be startled but how do you feel your way back into a connection with the horse then
5: Yeah, that's when we really come back to this anxiety part, right? And what I find is I don't think there is a lot you can do about this very first instinctive response if your horse spooks or something happens and you internally go like... (gasps) Yeah. Right. It's like this moment <laughs> where everything comes up Your your breath set, and suddenly sits in your chest and your center of gravity comes up and there is that tension that comes up. And I don't think that you can really do a lot about that. Okay. It's but normal. What it's, you can no, Yeah. It's kind of normal, mm, right? It's like instinctive yeah. and it's, there is something good about that as well, right? We need yeah. the the instinctive response to things and good. be quick and be alert. There is something good about that. But obviously, when we're on horseback, when we stay for too long in this, it the horses will again pick up on that, and the horses are probably also going <gasps> right? yeah, exactly. everybody is going, going in the same in in the same direction. So that's then I think it's really the rider's part as well to turn things around and then go like, okay, Let's actually go back into the calming, into taking long exhalations. Breathing is really interesting to watch with that one. So like really long exhalations, getting your center of gravity back down. I sometimes tell people to feel like as if they were exhaling into their horses Mm
4: -hmm. to make
5: the horses breathe again as well, because usually the horses also hold their breath.
4: That's good. And so you
5: have the breathing, the letting go, the bringing the center of gravity back down, bringing your connection with your seat back into the saddle, right? If we've like clenched our buttocks muscles, we are Mm -hmm. not physically physically connected to the saddle anymore. Mm -hmm. They want to get that relaxation, that connection going on. And then the emotional, mental connection through getting your breathing also in
1: sync with the horse's movement again, things like now. Mm, perfect. I, I agree. I so love the fact that you acknowledge that horses also suck in and hold their breath and and panic just like us. We have a lot of flight mechanisms in us as well as the horse, right? So Absolutely. And, yeah. I like how you do a lot of core breathing too. Diaphragmatic breathing is what Monty teaches, and how you talk about engaging your core, centering yourself. I know you've been through the, the Sally Swift-centered riding training, so it all makes great sense, and you're highly trained. For us laymen, talk about the dragon tail. I thought that was really interesting too, to put your body not only in the breathing mode and getting your belly right, but also getting that spine alignment right.
5: The dragon tail, again, one of my big favorites, because what's so beautiful about uh, this image is that an image can really talk to your body on this no mind level, right? You can really find something in your physical position where you didn't have to think too much about it. You can really feel into it and you can also more easily remember what it was. Mm -hmm. So with the dragon tail, we can just do a really quick exercise together. Actually, here, if you're okay. ready, you're ready right. for it, I'm ready. So, <laughs> very good. So, when you just um, think of your pelvis region, right? So, everything below the belly button. Mm-hmm. That belly region, that pelvis region, is shaped like a bowl. Mm-hmm. And when you f- picture that being filled with water, and when you now hollow your back the water would spill out in the front. Yes. When you're you right. round your back, the water would spill out in the back. And then you can find a position where you're not losing any water. So you might just go back and forth a little bit till you find a position where you would ke- be able to keep the water in the bowl. Mm-hmm. Good. And that's kind of your neutral position, right? Mm-hmm. So there might be just a little bit of a little hollow in the lower back, which is kind of normal and all good. Mm -hmm. If we really want to engage our core muscles, and that's really good for riding too, we can now picture a big, heavy dragon tail (laughs) that's hanging vertically down from your tailbone. So it just gives you a little bit of an extra length in your spine. It's a tiny little movement. And it just helps you lengthen. It brings the pubic bone up a little bit. And you might already feel that there is a bit of core engagement, like really deep inside your tummy. Something starts clicking in, gives you stability. For those who want to look it up, it's the psoas muscle, Mm P-S-O-A-S, that we are engaging here. So we're finding stability in this lower part of our body and now the shoulders can stay relaxed and we can breathe and we can really just rely on that stability that we get from the center, right? The pelvic area, the center of your body. Very good. That's the dragon tail.
1: I love that. I don't know what my horse would think about that, but I like the dragon tail thought. (laughs) They have to deal with that part too. It's a (laughs) (laughs) desensitized. Now, one of the things that everybody goes through is frustration. And I think you handled this really well too. And frustration really is never about anybody else but us judging ourselves, right? (laughs) We're, We're, yes, we're way too hard on ourselves most of the time. We want so much to help our horse and we don't want to do anything wrong. So I like your concept of taking an inner video of yourself and that you don't hold on to things. So tell us about that.
5: You know, it also comes back to what we talked about earlier with the self-doubt part. When we really want to shed the self-doubt and the frustration, I really feel that it's important to look at the things that are really working in your right. So when you're on horseback and you have one of these magical moments that we talked about earlier, you can really take a moment to digest, like really feel into this moment, this magical moment, or just this moment where things came together, where things really started working. And then really, I, I usually have my rider stop for a moment and really also describe To me, how it felt with their own words, Mm -hmm. like when they say, "Oh, I really felt like I was really connecting my seat bones. I was really like talking with my seat bones to my horse, or whatever words they are using." Mm -hmm. Excuse me, and uh, then really again visualize what what just happened, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where you can really take this inner video of the thing that just happened. And really, make it embody it, make it part of yourself, make it part of your toolkit, mm-hmm. so that later on, when you when you're at home, you can even do a little bit of a mental training where you sit down and you remember that moment where it worked. Like you had this, let's say walk trot transition that worked really nicely. And you took that inner quote-unquote inner video of this moment, and then you sit on a chair at home and you just close your eyes and remember this walk trot transition. And next time you get back on your horse, you look for the same thing and let it come back. Let it come really from deep inside yourself because you've already had taken that inner video of the feeling. So you, you've got a way to keep that feeling. Mm -hmm. a little bit longer. And when things are not working, like when we talk about the frustration, yes, let go of it. Start looking for the next magical moment.
1: Yes, you still want to look at the mistakes you're making, but don't get to hang up on, on them. Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of having a video library in your head of those things that you go to and observe rather than judge or criticize. That observational rather than judgmental position has got to be help you become a better student i would imagine so i love i love that you're not wanting us to hold on to things emotionally that are not working why would we do that it doesn't make any sense but we all do it don't we we instinctively do it
5: yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's also a way you look at life right because oftentimes i've i lots of my clients are rather perfectionists right yeah so, yeah so and i think lots of lots of female riders actually are to some degree right and it's not that they are like super ambitious to whatever place well at a show or something but it's this they want to be the best person for their horse and i really appreciate that right i really think that's a great ambition to have right it's it's beautiful to have but then the being compassionate with ourselves when it's not quite happening yet right it's like we are on a path we are still working on it and even people like us who've, who've written their entire life and and have done a lot of this there's still days where we we feel oh it's not really working well today <laughs> mm-hmm. right and it's like okay how can i how can i drop that feeling how can i change my 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 ideas of what i want to do how can i start changing things up how can i Keep it a little bit lighter more playful play with uh, play with different ideas play with different things and yeah and and drop the things that are not working that well you know just move on move mm-hmm. on and, and start looking at the things that are bringing you joy right bring you joy in this
1: yes that's beautiful yes okay so listen up all you ladies out there who are beating yourselves up and playing that video over and over again in your head of what caused you to fall off the last time you fell off. Get rid of that and, and listen to your instructors as to what makes it work and what, what makes your horse have joy in the moment, too. Those little moments that Carla's talking about, too. And and uh, look up, Carla. You're So you're a traveling riding instructor and trainer with clients. You've got clients in Europe and U.S. and all over the place, too. Are you currently traveling to I mean, I know you're going to Western States Expo, but that's pretty close to home. Are you getting out and about that's, yet?
5: Yeah, that's really close to home. I have not traveled really in a year and a half, but I do a lot online these days. And I work internationally online, which is kind of fun as well. Yeah. But I, I was I was actually able to keep teaching here in the area, but I did not get on a plane. Okay. So so I'll well, be home this time.
1: <laughs> we hope you will get out there soon. So Carla is at TheIntuitiveWriter.com TheIntuitiveWriter.com And I'm excited to meet you just in a few weeks, really. Yes, I'm really, really excited
5: to meeting you as well. So it's going to be fun to finally meet people again in
1: yes. person. Yes, I know. Sensory overload. It'll be really fun. <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs>
0: Whisper language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than murder. The magic in
0: the language of the herd.
2: Dear Monty, Many people think that if they don't have big issues with their horse, they don't need to learn and use the proper language to communicate with horses. What are your thoughts on this matter? Monty's answer. Many people think a lot of things. It's not for me to say that their system, whatever it is, is not as good as mine. If they are happy with what they do, keep doing it. But the more we learn, the more we know. Those who believe they have the best system often find that the use of proper language to communicate with horses is superior if they take the time to understand it. I often say to my students, my way is the only way for me to. Today, But if you show me a better way, that will be my way tomorrow. I am still learning. My techniques have morphed in such a way as to improve
1: right up to this very day. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to montyroberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
0: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm coming to you now to talk about the Monty Roberts Online University. You know, there ought to be six months in everybody's life where they just live with their animals. I've been staying home. But three months now, I've been home with this virus thing. And the things I'm learning, we're bringing you a new series. What Horses See, How Horses See, and About Horses Seeing Things. The Online University is bringing you the last three years of my learning process, which I promise you, Is the learningest years I ever spent. The Monty Roberts Online University, uh, you won't miss a minute of it if you get started on it. I love bringing it to you, and it's my shot to take my concepts to the next generation.
3: What in the wide, wide world of
1: sports is going on here?
0: Where in the world is Monty
1: Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. May 3rd, we have a Horsemanship 101 foundational course, a lot of fun. Then May 28th through thirty, we have our Horse Sense and Healing for veterans and first responders. Then... Stepping up to June, we have June 4 through 6. We have an introductory course module 4, preparation for the intro exams. Then June 7 through 11, we have a five-day Gentling Wild Horses course. Ooh, we have some good horses prep for that. And then June 11 through 13, Monty is going to skip and a hop up to Sacramento where the Western States Horse Expo is going on in Murrieta, California. That's near Sacramento. And then the 18th through 20th of June, we have the Movement, our event about the qualities of horses. Very limited VIP experience this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we have June 21 through 25 is a Monty special training. Then skipping to July, and on the 4th of July, 2nd through the 4th of July, we have our Horse Sense and Healing for Veterans. Perfect. And then July twelfth through 23, we have our Introductory Course of horsemen. And that's a foundational course for our certification process. And then August, let's do a long-termer here. Out in August, we have 2 through 13 is a Gentling Wild Horse course. And then we have August 16 through 20, a Monty's special training.
2: And for all that and more,
1: go to montyroberts.com.
2: You'll find his calendar, the Equus Online University, the Ask Monty Q&As, the Adoptable Horses Through the Horses in Transition program, and so much more. It's all right there. You can also call the good folks at Flag Is Up Farms 805 688 6288 And for details about today's show, number 182, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com, where you're gonna find links to today's guest and topics. we love your feedback. A great way to do that, social media. Join mm. Monty on Facebook, just search Monty Roberts, like and follow the one with the little blue check mark. Or you can follow him on Twitter or Instagram. His handle in both places is Monty underscore Roberts. Go get the Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. It's free. Go to your app store and download it today. And you can also listen to the Horsemanship Radio podcast on your favorite
1: podcast player or iTunes. Many thanks to our sponsors who make all that possible, please. That is uh, Hands-On Gloves. You've got to try those. If you haven't tried those, they're the best in grooming gloves on the market. And also, Monty Roberts University. That is our reason for being and teaching, and it's our legacy piece. And then also, Purina who is with us this month and also our cross-promoting courses and other shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. A lot of stuff for you to learn from. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.